everyone. I'm Andrea Ferretti. Welcome to Yogaland. Hi there, Jason. Hi, Andrea. You are back. And I also want to give people a heads up that at the end of this little episode of us, I'm going to include an interview with Jenny Wilkinson, who is the owner of the soon-to-be open studio in London called Mission. It's opening March 17th, so it's happening really soon. It's a part of London that we love. We're going to be teaching there this summer, and so stay tuned for that episode. They are hosting. Interview at the end. They are hosting this year's 300-hour hybrid training with me. Yeah. So I have a bunch of trainings coming up. So online anatomy training, and then also online 300-hour training. Those are both becoming available in mid-March. And then the hybrid training is beginning in the middle of July in London, and I'm super excited about those things. So to learn more, go to jasoncrandallyoga.com. Jasonyoga.com. <laughs> You're so cute. You're the one who bought that URL a million years like ago. Like a million years ago. And Jason, I know Jason Brown's still so annoyed. Jasonyoga.com slash schedule yes. is where you want people yes. to go. And and definitely join the wait lists also because I don't have all of the details up about those programs yet. But as soon as I get the details up, I email the waitlist first. So it just gives you an overview of everything so that you can make your decision. Okay, today we're going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is, is stretching actually good for us? We did a podcast a few weeks ago about strength and the benefits of strength and does yoga build enough strength? Does it build strength, period? So go back and listen to that episode if you're curious. This is a good companion to that one. We were both saying when we were thinking about this episode, that stretching has been a bit demonized over the past few years because there's been so much emphasis on strength. I think too, you know, to be fair, I've never demonized it, but I do think because we emphasize it so frequently in yoga, it needs to be put in context, mm. right? I've demonized it because well, I think I overstretched for a long time. Yeah. So that's so so that's really common, right? So, and I say this to my students in training all the time, listen, the reason I'm talking so much about balancing your flexibility with strength is one, because I believe it to be true, but also two, because you're a yoga student. And so if we're going to overdo something, we're more likely to overdo the stretching than the strengthening. If I were only teaching power lifters, I wouldn't be like banging the drum of, hey, make sure when you stretch, you also say strong. So I think that context is important, right? And it's one of the reasons we're taking a big step back and saying, well, what is stretching? What are the types of stretching? And what are maybe some of the contraindications of stretching or what's some of the contextualization of stretching? And then finally, are there still benefits? And if so, what are the most effective protocols for increasing flexibility? Great. Okay, so... Walk us through the different types of stretching. Okay, so there are many different types of stretching because there's like subset of subset, but let's stick with three. There are three primary types of stretching. There's dynamic stretching, there's static stretching, and then there's also ballistic stretching, 
Okay. So in dynamic stretching, I want you to think about doing a sun salutation. You reach the arms up. You probably feel a little length in the outside of the shoulders, maybe a little length in the torso. You exhale, you fold forward. You feel some stretch in the hamstrings and in the back body. You lift halfway up. You exhale, you step back into a lunge and so on. In the salutation or really any other dynamic fluid movement, you are gently coming to end range and you're probably feeling a stretch in various parts of the body, but you're not in those stretches for more than a second or two, right? There's more dynamic continuous movement. This is a perfect example of dynamic stretching. Now, let's look at static stretching. Let's even use that same sun salutation. Let's say in that sun salutation, you settle into down dog for 30 seconds. So you did dynamic stretching of various parts of the body as you continually glided through motion and ended up in down dog. Then you're in down dog for five to 10 breaths, 30 seconds, we'll say, and you're quote unquote holding a pose. In that held pose, now really what you're doing is static stretching. It doesn't mean you're passive. It doesn't mean nothing's happening. I don't love the word static, but the bottom line with this is it's more of a held stretch for a period of time, right? So both of those are really perfect examples, or you go to a yin class and you're in a pose for a long period of time, or you're in a general yoga class or a vinyasa class and it's towards the end of class and you're in a twist for 30 seconds, or you're in a forward bend or a back bend for 30 seconds. Those are examples of static stretching. You're going to an end range, you're staying there for a period, and then you're coming out. Now, finally, ballistic, ballistic stretching is really, it's mostly outside of the scope of what we do because in ballistic stretching, it's like dynamic stretching, but it's ballistic, right? I mean, just like listen to the language. It's like dynamic is dynamic, ballistic is ballistic. So in ballistic, there is greater force applied and there's usually a more rapid motion applied. And the reality is we don't, really do this in yoga and I'm not qualified to speak about it. It's not something that it doesn't apply I, to us as it much. It doesn't really because... apply to us. But if you want to think about an example, um, think about a punter or a place kicker in the National Football League warming up. You're going to see them take like a couple of practice swings of the leg. Or another thing, if you ever see people in Premier League soccer or some other style of soccer warming up on the side or in pre-game drills where they're doing all sorts of like kicks and high steps and, and kind of more exaggerated, brief, leveraged movements. Those are examples of dynamics, uh, excuse me, of ballistic More stretching. explosive movement. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then two more really quick things that I think we need to address before we get further into the heart of the topic active range of motion and passive range of motion. So in active range of motion, you are creating range of motion through the exclusive use of the muscles that operate on that joint. You're not getting any additional help from the outside, okay? So an example of this is if you just raise your right arm, if you raise your right arm and take your right arm as far back as you can take your right arm, that's active range of motion, shoulder flexion. 
If you take your arm and you reach it back behind you, like you would if you were going to interlace the fingers and do more of a common yoga thing, but you don't interlace your fingers, you just reach the arms back, you keep them there. And that is another example of active range of motion. You know another example of active range of motion? Having many moons ago done Ashtanga yoga, in their standing Utita Hastapadimustasana series, Mm -hmm. right? They hold the big toe, they reach it forward, they reach it out to the side, they bring it back forward, and then they try to keep it up, but they let it go. Mm -hmm. You just hold it just with your, yeah. That's active range Mm -hmm. of motion. So in all three of these examples, the range of motion achieved by the joint is produced entirely and exclusively by the muscles that are operating on that joint. You're not getting any leverage from the outside. Now, passive range of motion is equivalent to flexibility. Active range of motion is equivalent to mobility. Passive range of motion is equivalent to flexibility. So imagine those same examples. You raise your right arm, and then you take your left hand, and you gently pull the right arm a little further back. That's now passive range of motion because the motion of the right arm is being increased by help from another source. Right. I reach that arm behind us. I interlace the fingers. Now it's passive range of motion because my left arm is helping pull my right arm back. My right arm is pulling my left arm back. Final example is the first phase of that Utita Hastapadangustasana. I'm holding the big toe and reaching it forward. And we all know if you have the range of motion, that is so much easier to hold the big toe and keep it up there than not hold the big toe. Now, we are going to focus much more on, in this conversation on the passive range of motion, the stretching, the flexibility. Let me just go on record and say active range of motion is really awesome. And the reason that active range of motion is unimpeachably valuable is because strength and control are built in. It's very difficult, and it's very difficult to go too far. It's difficult, it's much more difficult to go too far in an active range exercise because you don't really have any additional or any secondary leverage. Whereas in passive range of motion, you have more secondary or you have more external leverage, and it is much easier to maybe go a a little bit into excess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, okay. Okay, so those are the different types. Let's talk about just the benefits of stretching. So let's say, really lay out the first benefit of stretching. To me, the first benefit or the first scenario as a yoga teacher where this really comes up for me as, a, as a, an important tool is when I'm working with a student who has restriction. When a body part is tight, it often needs to be lengthened. Now, Oftentimes you have body parts that are tight and weak, so they also need to be strengthened, but that's not our conversation right now. We've had that conversation and I'm sure we'll have it again. What we want to really focus on is when a muscle or a muscle group is short, it helps it typically to be lengthened, especially if that muscle is strong and short. So Stretching is particularly helpful when you're addressing a deficit of motion. And it's extra helpful when you're addressing a deficit of motion and you have a presence of strength. So a really great thing to do is when you have strong, tight muscles, 
stretch them. Right. Pass, increasing your passive range of motion in muscles that are strong or other soft tissues that are strong and short, passively lengthening them is thumbs up, good stuff. And I would say, just to add to that, most of the things we repeat with, we repeatedly do with our bodies in modern life create tightness in areas that are over the long haul detrimental. So chair sitting is definitely a contributor to low back pain. If you, if you sit in a chair a lot and you tighten up along the front of your body, along your hip flexors, your hips get tight, you're not stretching, you're not moving, you're not facilitating circulation, it, it's going to have an impact on your back. Same thing with using the phone and the neck listing forward all day can create tightness along the back of your neck and your shoulders. We all feel that. So thinking about it in the context of modern life, stretching definitely can be beneficial. Yeah. So stretching, the benefits of stretching are cumulative in the same way that the reasons we need to stretch are mm-hmm. cumulative. Like the things that are slowly and progressively eating away at our postural quality of life, mm-hmm. those aren't usually incidents, right? It's not like, oh, today I took my head a little too far forward while I was right. editing. And so now my upper back and neck are tight. No, it's my upper back and neck are tight because I've been doing that for weeks or months or years. Mm-hmm. So another reason that flexibility training or stretching or passive range of motion is valuable is kind of what we just said, which is it does two things. It Number one, it helps us achieve the full range of motion of the joints. And number two, related to that is by doing so, it helps facilitate circulation. So if I can't move something well, I'm going to have diminished circulation. So it's a downward spiral. If something gets tight, I can't move it through its full range. By not moving it through its full range, I don't get as much circulation. By not getting as much circulation, it gets tighter. Mm -hmm. By not being able to move it, I have decreased circulation and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. So if we aren't doing things to kind of push back against entropy, if we aren't doing the things to push back against the stiffening of the body, we're slowly and progressively losing range. And by losing range, we're not utilizing that range. And by not utilizing that range, we're, we have decreased blood flow. Mm-hmm. Think about it like this. like Imagine you have a phone or a computer or a TV. Like you have some device. And that device does... 20 things that you want it to do. But slowly over time, and now it's 19 things, now it's 18 things, now it's 15 things, now it's 10 things. At some point, you want a new phone. But you don't get a new phone when we realize in this a metaphor analogy, whatever it is that I, whatever it is I'm trying to say, it's like you the only phone get is one. your body. Yeah, you only get one in case you didn't know, listener. This is a metaphor. <laughs> Tortured and troubled, though it may be. But so I think that sometimes we forget this is the body we get in this lifetime. And it it easily loses functionality. Like decreased range of motion is diminished functionality. Mm -hmm. 
So when we have decreased range of motion, stretching is really good to facilitate that range of motion. And in so doing, it's going to help facilitate greater circulation in that region. I'm going to talk about the chair again because Bring this was just such a big thing that I learned at Yoga Journal over the years. Not only, you know, when people get older, and I'm talking about their senior years, one of the biggest risks that they face is falling. Because when they fall, they can sustain fractures more easily than when they're younger. And often when they fall, they can't get up again. And it's not just a strength issue with not being able to get up. It's also range of motion. So you need both in order to be able to get up and down off of the floor. And you might know people in your life, older people, who can't sit on the floor and play with their grandchildren or can't. And I'm not judging them. I'm just saying if you can continue to have those capabilities, you're just going to enjoy a better quality of life in the long term than only being able to sit in a chair, only being able to sit on the couch. So in the same way that you brought up the chair again, like I often do, I'm going to weasel in the fact that I like to train Brazilian (laughs) jiu-jitsu. And I'm going to give a very similar scenario, which is it doesn't matter how strong you are. If I can inhibit your ability from getting that foot to the ground, it doesn't matter how strong your leg is. So for example, like if we are in a certain position and you are much stronger than me, you might need to get me off by posting a foot strongly down onto the ground, pushing into that ground and bumping me away. But if I have control of your foot and I don't let you bring that foot to the ground, you can be five times stronger than me. If you can't get that foot into a position that's effective for you to use, it doesn't matter how strong it is because I've decreased its mobility and therefore its functionality, Mm -hmm. right? And it should be said that you said something like stretching will help your, I think you said stretching will help you achieve your joints maximum range of motion. And so it should be said that this is individual for each person. We're not saying that everyone needs to get to be able to do a 90 degree Upavishta Konasana on the ground. We are mechanically not all equal and mm-hmm. definitely not all the same. And so everyone is going to have a different native capacity within the different parts of their body. So you, over time, may lose your native capacity. I may lose my native capacity. So the lengthening that we're doing is just to achieve our maximum potential, right? For functionality. Which is totally very individualized. Mm -hmm. So another thing that stretching does is it stimulates muscle growth. So does it stimulate muscle growth as effectively and as efficiently as resistance strength training? No. We don't don't want to compare the strength that you're going to generate by stretching the hamstrings versus doing a strength training protocol for the hamstrings. However... What we have to remember is that when you are stretching something, you are applying tension to that region, and tension stimulates growth. So, and this is actually something to not backpedal on, but clarify. I think one of the things that's confusing about the phrase passive range of motion is I think it's a little bit of a misnomer. Because passive range of motion doesn't imply that the stuff that's stretching is necessarily completely passive. It doesn't mean that there is an action. It just means you're getting help from a third party, okay? 
So if you are doing, let's say you're doing Pachimotanasana, let's say you're doing a seated forward bend and you're just literally stretching your hamstrings. Are your hamstrings inert? No, your hamstrings are being pulled on, right? So even though it is quote unquote passive range of motion and you're not in this example trying to contract them or engage them at end range, although that's a great technique that I advocate for in other settings, if you just sit there and you stretch, passive somehow I think implies to us like, oh, nothing's happening. It's not doing anything, but it's being put under tension. Like all of those self tissues are being put under tension. And so the body is undergoing stress. So if I'm passively stretching my hamstrings, my hamstrings, they're undergoing a lot of stress. And that stress can stimulate muscle growth. And it may even stimulate hypertrophy to some degree, which mm -hmm. is uh, um, a, a, an increase in the visual size of the tissues. As soon as you said that, I actually thought of ballet dancers because they do so much active range of motion. If I think of a developé, which anybody, developé is like utita hasta to the side without holding your toe. Mm -hmm. And you do that, I mean, constantly at the bar, constantly in every direction, um, constantly in the center of the floor. Then you do it on point and then you do it in releve. You just do it over and over and over again. You're, you're holding your leg at your maximum stretch without any, any outside help, support. Yeah. And ballet dancers are incredibly strong. And totally. as far as I know, women don't do additional strength training. Men might because they have to lift women and throw them and things like that. But I, I don't think the women do. Maybe it's changed. I don't know. I think the two more things that jump off the page to me as being ongoing values and utilities of passive range of motion or stretching or flexibility is it helps to downregulate the nervous system and facilitate relaxation mm -hmm. if it's done to a mild enough degree. So this is, this is a tricky thing. So we were just saying, okay, let's say you are at the end of class, and I'm not going to be denominational in any style, right? But let's say it's the end of class and you're going to do um, a forward bend on one leg, Janu Shashasana, or just like simple right leg hamstring stretch, and you're going to stay there for 60 seconds or 90 seconds or two minutes, whatever it is. When you're doing that, remember, you actually are increasing mechanical stress in the body. Like that is a stressor. So this is tricky, right? Because for some people, that stressor is not soothing. That stressor creates a local tension. Excuse me. There is a local tension, like I'm putting those hamstrings under tension, but sometimes I might respond to that globally by holding my breath, by getting frustrated, by in my mind thinking this isn't enough, look at everyone else, they're going further. That might not just be a mechanically stressful thing locally. That might be a globally stressful thing. And that might be a psycho-emotionally stressful thing. However, if I'm able to do it mildly enough that the stretch that is present is not inhibiting my nervous system from relaxing, 
if it's not inhibiting me from breathing, and if I am able to relax into it, if I am able to breathe into it, if I am able to contextualize it, hey, you're doing your best, then it is likely going to be soothing and downregulating, right? Mm -hmm. If it's, oh my God, this is so intense, get me out of here, this is horrible, I hate this, then it's not gonna be soothing Mm -hmm. to me. So I just kind of want to say like, I think there is some subjectivity to whether or not it is soothing or not soothing. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing is, whether you like that 90 seconds or 60 seconds or two minutes or not, I believe there is some implicit value in us slowing down. Even as a vinyasa teacher, in, I mean, I teach not just vinyasa, I teach a wide range, but most of what I teach is rooted one way or another in vinyasa. I can see that as a vinyasa practitioner and teacher, I could still do a better job of slowing down than I am. So what I mean by this is, by having those moments where we are in that longer forward bend, we are in that quote-unquote held position, we are in that longer reclined twist at the end of the class, those are opportunities to just be in one place at one time, doing one thing and slowing it all down. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're just doing another Surya Namaskar, then we're not necessarily slowing down. We may be focusing in the moment, but those passive stretches do tend to help us slow down. They do. It's true. And they feel good at night. If When you think about just getting ready for bed, are you going to do a HIIT workout? <laughs> or are you going to do some, stress, on how some stretching? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So should we talk about these studies that have... Studies, when I think about them, I think they're, they give us some dosage information. I think we should. And I want to acknowledge that like, we're not going to interpret the data. And I don't think, I don't think that when you go through these studies about dosage, I don't think that this means that we're not allowed to stay longer in poses. There's a lot of people who prefer much longer durations in their stretches. But I think that this is so important because in this modern era, I think so many of us are drawn to evidence. Mm -hmm. And I think so many many of us are drawn to the quote-unquote science. So let's actually take a moment and let's unpack some of the most accessible and compelling science in terms of studies about duration in poses or duration in stretches. Okay. So the first study is a more recent one. It's from 2018 in the International Journal of Sports Medicine. And the nice thing about this one is that it's a a quantitative study. So they took 23 similar articles in considering when they looked at all the data, they looked at 23 articles. And they looked at the improvements in range of motion over a long-term period. And they looked at static protocols versus ballistic protocols, and they found significant gains in static, okay? And when they looked at the amount of time, um, what they found was it was more important how much the stretching was done over the course of a week than 
how long things were held in the session. They saw significant gains between 30 to 60 second hold, but it was more important that they consistently repeated these holds over the course of a week than, the, than staying longer than 60 seconds. So the, the big bit of evidence that comes from this, there's really two. Number one, this study found that static stretching was superior to other modalities in terms of increasing range of motion. And number two, they found that there is not an increased advantage to staying in a held stretch for more than 60 seconds right. in one setting. So 30 to 60 seconds duration is a sweet spot. But they found that to achieve maximum gains in range of motion, that you should repeat or you should be you should do five minutes of stretching per muscle group per week. So what this is saying is five days. Let's say let's just pick one pose. Janushasana instead of one day per week, Janushasana for five minutes. Five days per week, Janushasana for one minute. Does that clarify yeah. it? Right. Mm-hmm. I think this is I think this is just so important that again, that this is a quantitative study it's from 2018, International Journal of Sports Medicine. And this doesn't mean that people can't stay longer and that there aren't psycho-emotional benefits of staying longer. But in terms of actual increases of flexibility, no increase was measurable when someone stayed more than 60 seconds. Right. And I mean, the second study that you found is really similar. It's just a bit older. So it's from 1997 in the Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation Journal. And the results of this one showed that flexibility was dependent upon the duration and the frequency, that the duration, that no increase in flexibility occurred when the duration was increased from 30 to 60 seconds. So in this one, 30 seconds was enough. And it also, there also was not an increase if you stretched three times per day versus once per day. That's the, that's another kind of interesting overtime issue. It is interesting. You don't have to do it morning and night, morning, noon and night. You could just do it once a day. So you know what this kind of gets me into is a practice in which we're targeting the same muscle group through many different postures. So let's say we do Janarshashasana, we do Upavishtakonasana, we do Pachimottanasana. I know those are, those are specific technical things and some of our audience might not know those poses. But essentially those are three different postures where more or less we're lengthening the hamstrings. So let's say I stay for 30 seconds in each one of those poses. Well, that's 90 seconds if I do all three of them. And so there may be a decreased efficacy, like in terms of increasing that range of motion. So more postures of the same region beyond a certain duration may not be helpful Mm -hmm. in terms of increasing flexibility of that muscle group. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that's, it's kind of the final thing where I just, I want to step back and say, all of this being said, 
the, the reason we do what we do in yoga postures is not just to increase flexibility. So, so I do want to kind of take this moment and say, well, I don't think that this means that, you know, it com- it's completely invalid to be in a pose for three minutes. Or it's completely invalid to do well, right? Because the same being pose, in a pose for three minutes could have different. It could have a benefit on your nervous system. Exactly. It could have a meditative effect. It could, yeah. You could be doing it for a different purpose than just solely stretching. Exactly. So, is there still reason to be in a pose for some who choose to be for longer than sixty seconds? Sure. There's all sorts of reasons. Is there a reason to repeat the same? the same kinds of pose that targets the same reason, the same regions multiple times in a sequence. Yes, all sorts of reasons. But when it comes to the data on increasing the flexibility, the answer is no. Yeah. But from these, the yep. answer is no. It kind of speaks to why we we might not be drawn to do an overall practice. People are often drawn to, I want to do hips today, or I want to do arm balances, or I want to do this. But we tend to feel amazing after we do an all-around overall hit-all-the-regions-of-the-body practice. Right. It might be because it's more balanced. So now let's just take a few moments and let's make sure that we put some of the flexibility, some of the stretching, like some of these things in context. And we kind of did at the very beginning And the first thing that I want to acknowledge is that it's important to build strength in your flexibility and alongside your flexibility. That doesn't mean in every pose, every time that you're stretching your hamstrings, they need to be engaged. So you're building that other side. But I I just, I, I wouldn't feel completely comfortable just like being like, okay, bye, Andrea. Stretching (laughs) is really good for you. It totally is. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but again, because we do so much of it, and to be honest, because in our community, we still sometimes fetishize it, and we fetishize how far the body can go sometimes and how dramatic it looks sometimes, I, I, I don't want to say these are some warnings, but I think that these are some maybe caveats, right? So that first caveat is, please, along with increasing your flexibility, because clearly it's valuable, we also totally want to increase our strength. And so if you prefer styles of yoga that are much more about passive flexibility, then probably in other phases of your life, you want to be doing some complementary strength training. And then another thing that we want to think about is for students that that their body comes with, those students whose bodies have a exceptional amount of flexibility or an exceptional amount of mobility, then the strength part of the equation is exceptionally important. So for those of you with more flexibility, more natural flexibility, more natural mobility, do not vilify it, complement it. That's great. Let's end on that note. I think that's a great thing to keep in mind. Oh no, you've got There's more. one more note. Okay. It's just to remember that Probably when it comes to stretching, de-emphasize extremes. Like mm-hmm. th- this was actually another. This was a- another one of the studies that that I didn't post and show. But in terms of achieving increased ranges of motion, you don't need to do the equivalent in strength training of one rep maximum. You 
like small degrees of elongation have high yield. And so for us to just be very mindful that if we are really going for it and really pushing it and really trying to achieve bigger, broader, bigger ranges, there is a greater potential for injury and shadow side to come up. So be mindful in your pursuit of extreme things with the human body. All right. Wise words from Jason Crandall. Okay, everyone, stay tuned. Next up is my interview with Jenny Wilkinson. Before we get to the interview with Jenny, I just want to offer a little bit of background about her. Up until 2021, Jenny was the yoga director and board member at TriYoga, where she oversaw 450 teachers across the group's five London centers. Jenny is originally from New York. She was formerly a journalist at Reuters and Time magazine. She's a Cordon Bleu trained chef and a mother to four sons. So suffice it to say, Jenny has the background and skills needed to take on such an endeavor of opening a huge yoga and movement space in the heart of London. She's also a longtime Ashtanga yoga practitioner and teacher. So she gets up every day at the crack of dawn and does her Ashtanga practice. Before we spoke for the interview, she said to me that the one thing she really hopes to do with this studio is to shed the dogma of yoga and parts that are the turnoff for folks is what she said, without stripping out the essence of the practice. And so that's that's a huge goal. But part of the way that she's doing that is expanding the offerings. So she will offer Iyengar yoga, vinyasa, ashtanga, hot yoga, kundalini, and rocket, which is apparently really popular in London. It originated in San Francisco with Larry Schultz before he passed. Uh, but then she's also offering calisthenics, capoeira, things like workshops about specific poses like handstands. She's offering mobility and strength training. She's offering PT and there will be some spa rooms. And then she will also have a cafe on the ground floor and then a restaurant on the top floor that will have plant-based options as well as some chicken and fish and even some wine. And the, the sense that I get from her is that she truly wants the studio to be a part of the community. She wants people to be able to go there, do yoga, meet up, hang out, relax, and and just enjoy each other. And that just makes me really happy. And I'm very much looking forward to going because I think if there's anything that COVID taught me, it's that I truly prefer to be with people in community doing my yoga practice than doing it simply by myself at home or on Zoom at home. So to have the courage to open a studio like this at this time, I think is much needed. And I love that there are leaders in our community doing that. Jason and I will be there this summer. Jason will be teaching his hybrid advanced teacher training at Mission. And I will be there in July with him teaching a workshop. And we're going to sort out what that's going to be soon and let you know. If you want to get more information about the hybrid program, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash schedule and just enjoy the interview with Jenny. And I hope to see you at Mission this summer. Hi, Jenny. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Andrea, for inviting me. So good to see you. I'm so excited. I've mentioned it actually on earlier episodes that you are hugely responsible for a brand new yoga studio that's going to be opening up 
in London very soon, March 17th. So how are you feeling? Uh, excited and terrified yeah. at the same time. <laughs> There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work that has been done. There's a lot of people who've been working on this project. Mm -hmm. uh, something this big is not from one person alone. There's a lot of us who are working on this. And that includes the teachers as well. Right. There's so many things that are unique about what you're doing. And I want to kind of cover all of them. But I think one of the things that when Jason came home after he first met with you about it, he just said, the space is so unique and gorgeous. So can you talk about where it is and kind of yeah. like and that, the building itself? It's in East London. And for anybody who's listening to this podcast that is not familiar with London, East London is a very cool, hip area. It's it's fairly young. And this where it sits is an interesting juxtaposition between the city. So you've got, you know, the wealth of all the law firms and the banks and then kind of the poorer East End of London. So it kind of crosses lots of boundaries. The building itself, when when my business partner, Simon, and I first walked into that building, it was a no doubt moment. That was it. This was the building. And it's, yet it was completely, also completely disheveled, right? When you, it was, it's just completely, it was derelict at right, the time, right. completely derelict. Jason can, I'm sure he told you about that, but it it's big, right? It's four floors and the ceilings are quite immense as you move up. The top floor, which is where we're going to put a restaurant, that also has a terrace and it overlooks the city. And then to the other side of the building, it overlooks this historic grade one listed 18th century church that is, is quite famous. So it's it's just a gorgeous building that needed a huge amount of work done mm -hmm. to it. It wasn't even cat A. Cat A is, is when you can walk into an office space and just put your furniture there, right? There was no HVAC, uh, heating or ventilation or air conditioning. It was just raw space, cement floors. It used to be, interestingly enough, as in its original intention, was as a beer warehouse. So horses back in you know the 18th century would bring their wagons filled with beer kegs through the building, and they would deposit the kegs there, and they would end up out the other side. And it's had you know various lives since then. But it's it's still standing, and we have been working on it for a long time, you know, a lot longer than we had hoped. This is a massive building project, but I think when we just look at the building, anytime you walk into it, anytime somebody walks into that building, they're like, I get it. I get it. That's what Jason said. That's what Jason said. He just came back with like stars in his eyes, and he's not really like that. So I just want to say that I love the idea that it used to be a beer house <laughs> and yeah, it's right? now going to be, especially because one of the things that you talk about is wanting to disrupt the yoga and movement space. So having that previous life as a beer house and horses coming in, I mean, that that's actually kind of fitting and perfect. So I want to talk about the disruption, but first, yeah. can you describe a little bit about, I'm mostly just excited and I want to get like a vision of, you said it's four floors. Yeah. So how are you, because I know you're doing yoga and other modalities as well. So how are you, how are you organizing it? Like right. walk me through it. Yeah. So I wanted to be quite clear in that certain rooms have certain practices, right? So that is my intention. And, and the rooms have been designed with those practices in mind. So on the first floor where the ceilings are a little bit lower, that 
is very conducive to grounding practices, right? As you go up and you've got the second floor, the ceilings are really high. And that's a real dynamic studio where you can put in classes like, you know, Rocket and Vinyasa. And the other side on that floor is where we would have the movement classes. I, I wouldn't want anybody to think that we're trying to merge practices. We're merging practices in a building, but we're not merging practices in a classroom. I think that's right. really because I do want to be traditional, right? But I also want to innovate because, you know, for a long time, I fell into that trap of being told you should only do yoga six days a week. And I did that only six days a week. But now at my age, I'm like, that doesn't really work for me. I'm not even sure it really ever worked for me. Mm -hmm. So I just think we need to be a bit more accommodating and, and honest that yoga doesn't scratch every single itch. So that's why we are including other practices. So we've got a great calisthenics team who we're working with for strength and, and mobility. We've got Kaiperera in there. We've got a teacher who is a principal at the Royal Ballet, and he's going to be teaching what professional ballet dancers do as warm-ups before they have performances or or practice. So I just think it's a healthier way of of moving, really. Yeah. And it, we just shouldn't be, we shouldn't have our blinders on in yoga. And and you know, just that felt like that was what was happening for way too long. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're saying one of the things you talked about when we spoke earlier was just you're keeping the essence of the yoga as yoga. Those are not combined classes, but you're yeah. just offering other exercise modalities as well. Right. And then what about like PT, massage, that, you yeah. know, any kind of like spa kind of thing? Is that, yeah. that's going to be yeah. there too? Definitely. We have three treatment rooms. I'm not really one for the more woolly treatments. And I, you know, there's no, uh, it's not a judgment on them. It's just nothing that has appealed to me. And I don't feel like I can create and ultimately sell something that I don't really believe in. So, what do you mean by woolly treat? Well, I don't know well, that expression. Well, it's, it's a British expression. Okay. Uh, you know, like, I'm just getting trolled for saying this, but that's definitely <laughs> what I do. Like cranial sacral stuff, tarot cards. It's just, okay. I just, so not too, not too woo-woo. Not too woo-woo. I'm, I'm okay. talking about like sports massage. We're even talking about having a GP in there right? Because we have a real problem in, in this country where people can't get in to see their GP. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I, I don't really need to get into it. But if we can make it easier for people, if, if they need, you know, some antibiotics, or they've, you know, they've got a, a muscle issue, it's just an easier way for people to come together. So we're trying to get a GP in there. So I guess what I'm saying is it's more science-based treatments, but I also want some relaxing ones as well. Like I'm all about the facial, bring me the facial. So Okay. Yes. <laughs> so some beauty, health, beauty, wellness, yeah. and then obviously some nice locker rooms. Like, yep, we've a got a sauna, situation. A, a sauna as well. The the ground floor was a tricky space to navigate because we wanted to get a lot in there. So it was really important to us to have a all gender bathroom, right, as well as those who identify as female and those who identify as male. So kind of squeezing everything into, even though it is a big space. We also tried to have a bike store and we wanted to have a sauna and we wanted to have a little cafe for people to grab a coffee after class. So, and merchandising for people to pick up, you know, some, some books or a t-shirt. So that there was quite a bit for us to kind of navigate that, that ground floor, but we think we've done it. I, I would have definitely liked to have more space in the all gender bathroom, but we we're doing the best we can. So you are, okay. So you're going to have a cafe, which I think is brilliant, of course. And then you're also having the restaurant on the rooftop. Correct. That's awesome. 
Talk to me about the restaurant because you are a foodie. I, I am a foodie. I love food. I'm not a chef, but I love to cook. And we are working with a restaurant operator who is really well-versed in, in East London tastes. He, he's, he's really great. Uh, his name is, is Nick. And one of the things that we're doing that is a bit of a departure. So when we talk about how are we disrupting the space and, you know, I recognize I'm probably gonna get a lot of shit for this, but that's okay. We will be serving alcohol if people want to go up after class and have dinner at a big table with their teacher and have a glass of wine. I don't really have a problem with that. You know, we would also serve while primarily plant-based. I do think it's important that we have a chicken dish in the, on the menu or a fish dish, not beef and not lamb. But, uh, you know, again, it's like there's a reason why people are intimidated by yoga spaces. It's because they can seem so closed off. And mm -hmm. frankly, you know, the majority of people, they don't live amongst life the way that uh, ascetics would, you know, That's true. <laughs> they, they just don't. So why are we shutting out these practices to people who just seek some kind of healthy balance, right? And I think that it's also in the education, you know, where are you sourcing your produce from? Because it's fairly well known now that all the avocados that we're eating, the air miles on that, they're coming from Peru. Why isn't it better for us to have something on the menu that's more, that's within a 30 mile radius of, of the UK? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So the menu is, we're going to have lots of non alcohol cocktails too, but, you know, we also will serve cocktails and and wine this isn't don't get me wrong this isn't going to be like a place that's going to you know, turn into a nightclub even though that top floor terrace is beautiful but I want people to have fun mm -hmm. well you're you know, trying I, just, I think it's important to say like for me to just add in here that you and I are of the same generation and so and you actually still practice Mysore style Ashtanga yoga so you have a strong tradition that you come from. And so you are a believer in tradition. And yet you also, like me, we live householder lives. So trying to not in any way be disrespectful to the tradition, but just trying to integrate it into our lives, I think is is what what you're you're after. Not diluting the tradition in the classroom, but creating a real authentic community within the whole space is, is really like a valuable goal. That is the intention. That is the aim. So let's talk about the timing of this. I mean, I, I think I'm really excited about it because we all went through COVID together and that was really, really hard on yoga spaces and hard for the practice overall, a huge loss for so many of us to not be able to get together, to have so many studios close all over the world. So I also just admire you for doing this at this point in time. And I wonder how much of it is motivated by wanting to create a new community space for us to come together again. It's all motivated by that. Mm -hmm. Entirely. That that was the vision that uh, Simon and I had on this project was that uh, he, my business partner, he too is a practitioner. And when everybody went into COVID, like for, for a Mysore person to lose that community was really, really hard because I thought pre-COVID, I cannot practice on my home, even though that Mysore is the most transportable practice there is. I never felt I could do it by myself, right? Mm. I needed my people. And I was forced to do it by myself. And 
that actually was a really good learning experience for me. But what I also learned was that I really missed my teacher and I missed the people. I wasn't going for an adjustment. I was going to see my friends, right? So it took a long time for people to return to spaces in mm. London. And there's a variety of reasons why. And I think, you know, we're almost back, not not quite there here in London. I think certain groups came back more quickly, like people who were younger were, you know, maybe there was there was less uh, trepidation about going out. So they were quicker to return, whereas the older practitioners who might be doing different styles of yoga, they were a lot slower to return. So I think that the principal reason why we created Mission was to get people back. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it felt humans crave connection. In 100%. Person, you know, mm-hmm. and, and even teaching and practicing online while it had its value absolutely was wonderful during the time when because that was the the best way to connect i as a teacher and as a student didn't enjoy the experience because as a teacher i couldn't see people breathe i couldn't see their feet on the ground you know as 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 a student it was just such a bizarre experience to have this laptop in front of me and you know trying to kind of receive teachings, it was an anathema to me. I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. So I'm not saying that some people don't get something from it. I think they do, but I think the experience is far superior in the room. Mm-hmm. I think if anything taught us how much we're interdependent, it was COVID. And I mean, I am the hugest introvert there is. I don't even, I mean, I've gone to yoga classes for decades and I often don't even talk to people, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I still preferred to be around other people and I still preferred to just, yeah, just to have human presence and breath and camaraderie around me. It just, it, I'm, yeah, I agree. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm the hugest introvert there is. So, and I would love to know, so are you going to be teaching there, Jenny? Are you going to teach any Ashtanga? I might teach a little bit. I think that I think it's important that when you are running a studio that you identify with the problems, successes, experience that the teachers have at the same mm-hmm. time. How else am I going to understand what they're going through if I too am not teaching? Mm-hmm. I enjoy teaching. I don't love teaching. I feel like there's different ways to teach and and one of the ways you can teach is is by helping run a studio, right? Because that's just a different form of teaching. So I still consider myself teaching, even if I'm not in the room, but Mm -hmm. I I will teach not a lot, but Mm -hmm. I will. Mm -hmm. And you've been doing Mysore Ashtanga for decades. Yes. And you still, that's still your primary practice. Yeah. I think I, it's now coming into my 24th year and yep, I, it's still my, it's still my practice. And your, and who is your teacher, Hamish? Hamish Hendry, yes. Hamish he, Hendry, okay. He's been my teacher for 18 years. Before that, I, I was living in New York and, and Singapore, but uh, I've been with him every day for, for that long. That's amazing. Yeah. You, you talked to me last time we spoke about how hard, you know, it's been for the Ashtanga community to go through all of the allegations of sexual violence, you know, from Patabi Joyce, but you said that your little community, your little Ashanga community has come through it together and you feel like there's some peace. So how, how did you all navigate that? How did Hamish navigate that? I mean, that had to have been hard as a teacher leading 
a group yeah. or, or or were you just such a long-standing group that it felt kind of separate from from Potabi yeah. Grace? Well, I mean, I I can't speak for for Hamish or, you know, anybody else. I can only speak for me, but I'm I'm not sure if I have made peace with what Patabi Joyce did, I, d- I doubt I ever will. I don't think anybody ever should. I mean, it, it was really awful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the harm that that he caused, it, it wasn't just on those women, although, of course, they suffered the most, but it really fractured into pieces what was once a very, very strong community. But we have rebuilt. I can only speak for London because I, I still hear that things haven't changed in different places. I, I don't know, but I feel that in London... There's been a massive change in in how uh, Mysore and Ashtanga have been have are being taught. You know, there's there's hardly any forced adjustments. Teachers allow modifications, props. You know, if I don't want to bind in Virinchasana, Hamish is like, okay, fine, right? Like we we just it, it's become a much more individualized practice. And I think you know, from from my perspective, I was really fortunate that. When that all happened, I, I was at Triyoga and I was in a position to make kind of necessary change. And uh, my boss at the time, Jonathan Satin, he he really was great because he gave me free reign to take action. And this came, you know, in the form of consent cards, which I think we were the first in the UK to to use them. There was a lot of resistance on the part of some teachers to doing it. Hmm. We made, you know, mandatory mental health training and sexual awareness assault for every single teacher at Triyoga. I became a lot more selective about the teachers that I was working with because I wanted to work with teachers who actively wanted to dismantle that power imbalance that naturally exists between teacher and student. So I think that when you ask the question, how have we made peace? I think we've settled mm-hmm. into a different space, right? It's not about making peace. And I, you know, it still comes up often. It was, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. And I, I think that, you know, if, if there's anything good that you could say came from it is that the practice, how it was taught here in London has definitely changed. Mm-hmm, 100%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's actually really, really good to hear. So it's good to hear that. And yeah, I think making peace was probably not the best way for me to phrase it. I sort of meant like, how did you move forward? And it sounds like you moved forward by trying to take some of the parts of the practice that were affected by the... Yeah power imbalance and affect positive change. Yeah. Oh, people often say, sorry, uh, about separating the practice, the man from the practice. And, and I struggled with that for a long time, but I love the practice so much. Mm, yeah. I really yeah. do. Had you ever been over to, to practice with him? Yeah. But it had it been years since you'd. Well, he died in. God, I can't even remember when he died. I, yeah, I think it was 06. And, and I went, I mean, I practiced with him in New York and, and here in London. And then he died. And, and after that, I started to go to, to Mysore because I, I had young kids. I, I remember practicing with Tabby Joyce when I was eight months pregnant. So I didn't get to go over to Mysore until after he had died. But I don't think I'd go back. No. Well, sorry. Anyway. Yeah. 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 So it's interesting because one of the things that you talk about in your mission statement for for mission is the kind of disrupting the that hierarchy between, yeah, so to foster equal student-teacher relationships. So what are the ways, you know, you mentioned some of the ways that you have been doing that. What are some of the things you're going to take into this space to foster a different type of 
teacher-student relationship that's been there in the past? I think a lot of it starts with who the teacher is. I think that there's a lot of old school teachers out there who have a huge amount of knowledge, right? And I'm not trying to to cancel them. And, and in actual fact, some of those teachers, the last ones I would have expected to make change, have done so, right? Not all of them, but some of them, you know, really have. They've recognized, yeah, this this pedagogy isn't really working for people, is it? Mm-hmm. So I think it does start in, in the teacher selection. I think it's where we would have, you know, meetings with all the teachers to talk about how we can give that power of decision to the student. And, you know, it can even be something as like, why is the teacher sitting on a mat in front of 30 people who are facing them? Like right there, you're setting yourself up for elevating mm-hmm. one person and putting other people beneath them, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think you need to take that mat away, take that teacher from from there and start to move them throughout the room to navigate them. Or, you know, circles sometimes can work. So it's those kind of things that where you have to listen to the student and you have to give the student, create these conditions where they can give you feedback, where they can felt heard and acted upon. I think, you know, with, with teachers, they just have more knowledge. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all they have, right? So we have to recognize that. And I think that, you know, it can be teachers are human, right? And if you're sitting there and you're receiving these kind of accolades from somebody in front of you, yeah, we've all seen it happen. Like we're all, we, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, wow. Like I'm now in this position where people think I'm really great. Right. So how do we keep those teachers egos in check? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that comes in the form of supervision. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're talking about that. Why do clinical psychologists have to go through supervision, but yoga teachers don't? Mm-hmm. Right. So it is about being uh, responsible and ha- and being accountable. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that that goes for students as well. Right. Like w- we have a duty to protect everybody here. So it's not we're not just talking about protecting the students. We have to protect the teachers. We have to protect the employees as well. This is mm-hmm. this isn't, you know, just a, a one way street. This is about creating a level playing field for everyone who walks in that building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I mean, I think. When I think about what yoga classes were like when I first started doing yoga for the first 15 years I did yoga, the fact that the, that the sort of this hierarchical situation between student and teacher was not even discussed, there was no awareness around it, is sort of astounding to me now. I mean, I think it requires, you, you use the example of a psychologist or a therapist, Yes. I mean, it it requires that level of mental, emotional integration to be a safe yoga teacher. You have to understand some of the basics of psychology and ego and transference and counter-transference and just, just being stable enough in yourself that you're not going to, like you said, take the accolades and just feed your ego. And I think it's just, we assume because we talk about ego in yoga and we talk about the death of ego and all these things, we talk, we can sort of fancifully talk about these things. We just assumed for so long that the teachers were integrated. But like, sadly, that's not been the case often in many, many, many schools, in many traditions, in many situations. So 
Yeah, I mean, my I'm I'm glad that you're there at the helm because if anybody's gonna gonna kind of suss suss things out, it's gonna be you, Jenny. I I, ha- I really do genuinely have that faith in you, and it's really vital if we want this tradition to keep going. We need there are things that need to continue to be fixed, and like you said, monitored, and people need to be held accountable. That's it, you know. That's just that is it. One of the other things you talk about in your in your mission, I think, is a is a great point to to bring to light, which is making yoga more inclusive. And we touched on this a little bit with you know the restaurant, and but what are some other ways you're trying to do that with the studio? I think that comes with the programming. So having movement in there is is really important. That opens up a lot of doors that you wouldn't normally be able to walk through if it was just a yoga studio. I think, again, I keep talking about teacher selection, but teachers are, you know, the most important part of mission, Mm -hmm. without a doubt, right? And I think that we've working with teachers who don't look like you think a yoga teacher is supposed to look like. I mean, we know this stuff, right? This has been something that that we've talked about for a number of years now. And and I think that, you know, that's important. How is if 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 a woman comes in who's, you know, living in a bigger body and she's being taught shoulder stand by somebody who is is quite lithe and and bendy that's a very hard direction to take. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. how would you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what it's like to have my boobs in my face? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you just wouldn't. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so I think that we have to put people in teachers into the rooms who can identify with who's coming into the space. And, and it, that doesn't, I'm not saying that we sacrifice any excellence, right? We, we don't like that just goes hand in hand. So I, you know, selecting the faculty has, in as much as it's been easy, it's been difficult because mm-hmm. I, you know, I know a lot of yoga teachers in, in London. I've been doing this for practicing here for a long time. But I think, you know, when you try to diversify the faculty, you just you can't lose excellence just just because of that. Mm-hmm. It's also in the staff. You know, we are hiring an all female staff in, in terms for, for the employees for the front of house. I think that's something that's kind of important to me. And they come in a variety of ages and races and sizes. And, you know, again, with the all gender bathroom, that's kind of opening things up. And and it's also from the minute somebody kind of walks in that door, like, if you've got somebody who's never practiced yoga before, they walk in and they're seeing people taking off their shoes. They're like, already, just just that, that, that immediately kind of can set people into a space where they feel uncomfortable. Or if they walk into the yoga studio and they see people pulling out a yoga mat and some, you know, two bricks and two blocks and a strap, they're somebody's news. And they're like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's taking care of people. Mm-hmm. And yoga can be an intimidating space. You know, I sometimes I'll go into a space like a climbing center and I'm really surprised at how open climbers are and how they're cheering people on and making people feel comfortable. Like I am not a good climber, mm-hmm. but I don't feel ashamed mm-hmm. because I can't climb, but I'm climbing next to somebody who's just like swinging up that wall on, on a, you know, a seven or an eight. And I'm just basically working a, a one problem. I feel okay about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't think yoga gets that right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like you come, you come in and even in the way that it's portrayed on, on social media, so I'm really careful about the message that we send because we do live in a generation that is led by social media and people's first impression about mission is going to be on the Instagram account, right? Mm-hmm. 
so I'm I'm careful about trying to present fairly what we're doing. And at the same time, I would say people are going to see what they want to see. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If they, if they see one post of somebody in, you know, Ashtavakasana, they're just their mind's going to be made up. Oh, that place is is not for me, right? Mm. So I recognize that and it's a tricky one to navigate mm-hmm. to how to get people to see truly what you're trying to do in an age where people are really quick to judge. Right. Right. Especially in yoga world. Like there's no more judgmental people in <laughs> any industry I know than yoga. It's crazy. Yeah. It's really true. It's so funny. I mean, we're just, humans are so crazy. Oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Yes, it is a tall order, my friend. You are, this is a huge endeavor. And, you know, you're a mom of four boys. So I don't think I could know anyone braver than you. (laughs) Swear. It's like, I am just, that's all you have to say to me. And I am amazed that Jenny is raising four boys, one of whom is already, he's grown. So you're doing pretty well. Got one at university. The other one is going in September. So, but you know what? Teenagers, um, my kids are good boys. I I was, I think I was probably quite strict with them, you could say. So, but they've turned out to be, you know, good boys. So, and and quite independent. That was really important to me. That's good. To, to raise boys that were, you know, independent. So I, I feel pretty good about them going off into this world and, you know, being being all right. And this allows me to kind of have this kind of second part of my life, knowing mm-hmm. that I did a good job in the first bit. So now I can move on to the second bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. I'm really, really excited. Jason and I will be there this summer. Jason will be teaching. <laughs> and hopefully... Hopefully, I will be partaking in some beauty treatments um, <laughs> and some classes. <laughs> and are you gonna? You're gonna be doing um, a meditation workshop, right? We I hope that? so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to talk about I it a little more. That. Okay. All right. Yeah, I would love it. I would love it. It'd be great. And that is one of my favorite parts of London. It's just fun and yes. makes me feel young again when I'm there. So very vibrant. Yeah. Really open as well. You uh-huh. know. You- there's so many different types of people who are walking around there and they're just all, you know, mixing and the food culture. I was going to say there's so much good food there, like so, so much. much good food. So much. We're right across from Spitalfields Market, which has <sighs> food stalls, but also independent retailers who put up these stalls selling, you know, things that they've made and, and they're beautiful items. You know, these people, it's really difficult to get rents now in shops. So a lot of people go into Spitalfields Market and they set up stalls and mm-hmm. there's Amazing original stuff. So yeah, it's a lot of fun to to hang out in in the market. It's just a great neighborhood. It really. The is. last time Jason and I went to London together, we were on our own. Sophia was with the grandparents, and we had the best time. And we spent the day there at Spitalfields. We had like the most delicious fried chicken, and oh god, it was so fun. Yeah, it was yeah. really fun. So oh, and the art, the art scene there, it's famous for its graffiti. Right? Yeah, I remember that. That's funny. Yeah. There was a Banksy on our front door at one point, but yeah, but our Stop. landlord, our landlord's cut, he got, he didn't know it was Banksy <laughs> and he, he painted over it. And this was years ago before, you know, we were there, but he told me that story. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> That's kind of perfect. That's kind of perfect. I'm sure it's not the first, not, not the first or the last time oh. it's happened to Banksy. 
right? Yeah. If that's the art you're going to do, it's, it's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes. All right, my friend. Well, thanks so much for being here. We will look forward to the big launch on March 17th. You know, I'm, I'm just inviting everyone out there to make a pilgrimage to Mission Yoga. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be there. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. It was really good to chat, and I can't wait to see you guys over the summer. Me too. Me too. Okay, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 291. And if you would like to register for Jason's training in London this summer, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash schedule and click on the info for the hybrid training. I hope to see some of you there and meet you in person. And uh, until next week, enjoy your practice.